Tiffany. Hi, Pam. <laughs> Welcome to Gigi and the 561. You were actually my first guest on my new podcast. You have been with me through a lot of podcasting and blogging, and you have been featured uh, on our website already. So uh, we so appreciate that and your time today. But welcome, and thank you for being my very first guest on my new podcast in this I new am year. Well, no, it's all me. So I have to tell you, it's chilly in the Palm Beaches this morning. How oh, yes. is it in the 305 down in Miami? It is chilly as well. It's warmed up a bit because it's been reminding me of California lately. You wake up and there's like everything's gray and overcast, and then it burns off by, you know, 930 or so. Right. And now it's uh, warm in the sky, not a cloud in the sky. It's, you know, you can tell in SoFlo when it's chilly for us. Like this morning when I went out, I wore closed-in shoes. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> it's it's chilly today. I've got to put on those stuff. Penny Davis, Penny Davis. Oh my my my! You know what a huge fan I am of yours. I I hound you. I have I I actually started our relationship, our friendship by hounding you. And I want to thank you right off the top for not having me thrown off of the Amtrak train oh, and no. arrested. <laughs> no no no. Because it, it, it could have happened, but. I have to tell you, I have so much respect for you, and you just, um, you, who, wow, I mean, you, you Google Penny Davidson, it's just amazing all the things that, that you're about, and not even to mention just your fascinating person in general, but I do want to start out by asking you about your cats. Do you still have three? No, two, down to uh, two. Oh, okay. Uh, one died earlier this year. I had to have her put to sleep. She's oh, Penny. Elderly and ill. Yeah. Well, they have a good life with you down there in, in South Florida. Um, you, you spent decades on Broadway. Yes, decades. <laughs> and, and I have begged you to, you know, put that all out there and let me write your book and everything, but... You you do slay me, I have to tell you, and we're going to get into your Broadway career, but here's how it works, listeners, with, with this incredible woman on this line with us. Um, she, I respect you so much, Penny, and your uh, opinions on things, especially in entertainment and books and things like that, but it, here's what happens, people. I'm talking to you, not Penny, at this moment. Um, I said, uh, we, we, you and I were chatting, Penny, about uh, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and how, what a, what, how God, they captured, me too, and how they captured that time period so well. And we're just, you know, we're just chatting. On. And correct me if I'm, if I'm right here, but I believe it was, because I've talked with you about it so much, I believe it was La La Lane. And while I'm just this like big fan, you actually knew someone in that film. Is that isn't that right? Knew someone in the film? Yeah, an well, actor. Funny you should actually. Yeah, I mean not well and in passing, but yeah. Now that you mentioned it, and I was just talking about it the other day. That's funny. Uh, 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 Timothy Oliphant uh, is I. Oh, let's see. Um, I tend to babble, as you know. <laughs> Please do. That's what. That's exactly what a podcast is. Babble on. My 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 uh, contact with him actually had nothing to do with Broadway. Uh, there is a, a 
theater, there's a community, to put it that way, in upstate New York that my husband and I got involved in, thanks to my friend Kevin O'Brien, and it's called Antiora, and it's up in the Catskills, and it was a community that was sort of founded by writers and artists at the turn of the last century, and there are beautiful homes there, and there's a country club, and the story goes that uh, back way back at the turn of the century, uh, a, I don't know whether he was a producer or a writer, but somebody with books uh, had a girlfriend who wanted to be an actress, and so he built her a theater on the Antiora uh, landscape. It's a beautiful place, wow. uh, and it's a lovely little theater, about a three hundred seat theater or so. Oh, that's perfect. Size. And uh, it's and so and every summer. You wouldn't know it to look at them, but they're really rich people have houses there. Wow. And they, and they all do one show a year during the summer. And um, my friend Evan was directing. He had directed a few things. And I'd get involved. Mike and my husband is a sound man. And we would get involved in, like, getting a hand wherever we could. Uh, but when Kevin was, he was directing a production of Bye Bye Birdie. And uh, this was back in 2008, I think it was. And um, it was, they always do, they only do two shows uh, or two performances in uh, late August. And that's it. And it's the, it's the community involved. It's, so it's Amateur Night in Dixie. It's just <laughs> no professionals. It, and, and in this case, it was all the kids of these, you know, and some of the adults. And it's a lot of fun. And um, uh, anyhow, Chris Cade, who originally oh, gets, uh, gets involved, but Chris, who is a resident up there, who had gotten Kevin and my friend Kevin involved with it, um, he used to do all, he directed, he um, designed, he did everything, but as we say, in the biz, shove a broom up his man, sweep the But Chris's dad was, was very ill and actually dying at the time. That, oh. And so Kevin called me and said, is it possible for you to come up and deal with the costumes on the show? And I said, you bet, because I wasn't working at the time. So Mike and I drove up and um, we planned, because previously we'd only gone up there for a day or two, but this meant sort of staying for a week and getting it done. And anyway... So we're doing, it was so much fun because we ended up getting a lot of our, Kevin's been, worked with me for 20 years, over 20 years. Ah. He was my, usually my star dresser. And um, anyhow, we're getting the show together. I had never even seen the show. I'd never even seen the movie. So I'm quickly, you know, playing catch up on YouTube. Wait a minute. You never saw Bye Bye Birdie. (laughs) Never saw Bye Bye Birdie. And so I'd ask Chris, I said, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to help you? Do you want me to do it? What do you want? Because I I tend to be, you know, sort of bullish and just dive right in. Mm -hmm. He said, no, Penny. He said, just do it. He's good. And it was great because it freed him to to spend his uh, his time with his dad. So um, anyway, I wanted to keep it simple. I did, but this is I'm building up to the Tim story. So we're we're getting it all together. I'm getting the kids together. This is what I mean. These are the people who come in in jeans and and a denim shirt. And I was musing uh, at one point because I wanted to keep the plot the costume plot simple. 
And I said, boy, you know, I, I was a kid in the in 50s, and I, I remember the look well. And if I could just, I want to keep, like, in the first act, if I can do the boys in, like, Izod shirts and khaki pants and just have them all the same but different colors of Izod. Because that's what the good guy, the good mm-hmm. boys, mm-hmm. that was the look then. Right. And, and the girls were all, like, circle skirts and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And... um I said, if only I could get those Izod shirts in, in it, all the colors. And I said, but I don't really have a budget. <laughs> and they're not well, that's a problem. So I was musing with this woman. And I, I knew her name, but I didn't know her background. She said, how many, she said, how many do you need and what colors? I said, well, I can't, you know, I can't really, I don't even, but she said, no, I own a menswear store. What would you like? Ah. Ah. <laughs> so she provided me with every you know, all the pastels and all that. Anyway, that was great. So we get all the costumes together, and we're having a, a rehearsal. And the the number where it's a, was, what is wrong with Rosie or something, it's taken takes place in the bar. And all of a sudden they realize they didn't have a bartender. And who should come wandering in to watch rehearsal but Timothy Olsen. Wow. <laughs> Don't tell me they drafted him. Yes. <laughs> oh, whoa. Amazing. Because it turns out, because he's a lovely man, and he had, his wife um, uh, and, and his children uh, spend the summers up there. We, I, we'd never met him before so the, because uh, he's been a little busy, re, you know, in the last right. several years. Right. And so he hadn't been there. But his wife was the daughter of one of the people who owned prop, you know, owned home uh, at Antiora and um and they happened to be there that summer with their three gorgeous, beautiful blonde children. And uh, he he heard about the show, and he just came over to just hang out and see what was going on. And it was like, hey, you want to be the bartender? That, that is really something. I mean, something. Wow. The non-speaking role of the bartender. That, that's... <laughs> he was played by Timothy Olsen. Well, I'll tell you, you know, Penny, you spent so your career uh, on Broadway. You as a wardrobe supervisor. When I did my blog post about you, the story about you, I would fall into calling you uh, a designer, and you corrected me on that. It's like there's, I am not a designer. I am a dresser, and I am a wardrobe supervisor. And and I have I recently read a, a lot of stuff about about that career, and you dressed through these years, just, I mean, the talent that you draped clothing in. So, people, if you have been to Broadway in the last many, many years, now, Penny, you've been down in Miami for a while now, but you have seen actors on stage dressed by this woman that I'm speaking to right now or people working with her on her team. And it's it's. It's really a very interesting career, Penny. I, I tell you, um, what, one of the things that I read, and it just it left out at me because of knowing you, they said they were talking to some, some wardrobe supervisors in, in this story, and they said typically a, a person that will be dressing these, these actors, these famous people, um, know pretty quickly how it will go. Uh, with that particular person, how you yep. will gel. It happens pretty quickly. And, and two or three other things that leapt off the page to me, 
how you have to, you see these people at their most vulnerable. You see them without any clothes on sometimes, and you have to be like you're not really seeing them so that they can fully trust you. There's yeah. such a trust issue that, and like we've talked about, you, you have to keep their confidences because you're in the room with them when they may be talking about personal things and things, and, they, and there's such a level of trust with these professionals like you where they know they have that trust. You have earned that trust. And That's why I can't write that book. Yeah, I know, and it just upsets me to no end. But My I have stories I cannot tell. You have told me that before so many times, and I just resent the hell out of it, but <laughs> but I respect it so much. But um, you, some of the things that are that are pretty amazing to me about what your career entailed, um, the, the the quick changes and, the, and the, having the clothes – so ready to go that you there's no room for error when the show is going there's just not no, no. but error does happen and so you have to be ready for that yeah mm-hmm. um i would i would always try to troubleshoot a, a, a fast change and i would think what what would i do if such and such happened and i would try to excuse me um i would try to uh make a plan so that if it did happen, I didn't have to stop and think about what I was going to do. For example, um, I one of those was a, a play called Lost in Yonkers, which was a Simon mm-hmm. show, and um, I I took a change. I was the wardrobe supervisor on it, but there was one change with uh, one of the the sister character, um, not one of the major roles. And I took the change. It was a very quick change, and we did it in the dark, right in this sort of doorway of uh, she had came out of the door of a on the set. She went into what was supposed to be another room, and I was there in the dark <laughs> waiting for this quick change. And it was a zipper down all the way down the front of the dress that she got into. So I rigged I rigged the, the costume she was getting out of uh, was a button like a shirtwaist dress that buttoned all the way up the front. And I had that rigged on snaps because that's, they're much more trustworthy. And she had plenty of time to get into that costume and getting out of it with snaps was a breeze. You just, oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. but she had to step into a dress. that was a zipper all the way up front, up the front. And then it had a self belt on it. And so I thought, okay, what's, what's going to happen if this zipper breaks or jams on me, I'm in the dark. I really had to do everything by feel. And um, what am I going to do? So I thought, okay, if I have a hook and eye at the top of the bodice, the top of the zipper, and I have a hook and eye at the waist on the placket of the dress, I can keep the dress together. Because she only had to go back on stage for a minute, and then she was done. So I thought, all I have to do is keep that dress together, even if it's, you know, even if the zipper's broken for, you know, one, a minute, and then that's okay. So uh, I, I, I did these hooks at the top and at the waist, and sure enough, one night, that zipper jammed on me. And luckily, it jammed, it didn't break, and so I got it halfway up, 
but just getting the top and the waist done kept it together. And I didn't have to think about it. When the zipper jammed, I just went right to the hooks. You were ready. So, Penny, tell tell everyone some of the some of the it's vast that some of, maybe some of your favorite uh, Broadway productions that you have been involved in. Funnily enough, today is the is the anniversary of the opening, and I've been there are a few on Facebook, there are a few Broadway uh, uh, web page or Facebook pages that I belong to. There some are use of professionals, and we. You know, it's a, it's a, and somebody posted that the real thing opened today uh, in 1984. 1984? Oh my goodness, 1983. 1984. And, um, and it was the, so it's the anniversary, and that was probably one of my favorite, my two favorite productions that I worked on were The Real Thing and Smokey Joe's Cafe. They're dear to my heart. Why uh, is that, Penny? Well, The Real Thing was, Mike Nichols, whom I adored. I had done mm. a few shows with him. And uh, it was a great cast. It was a great play, a Tom Stoppard play. And it was Jeremy Irons and Glenn Close and Christine mm. Baranski. And, I love Christine. Yeah. I love oh. her. She's so talented. Yeah. I've done, I think, like four or five shows with Christine. And I adore her. She's one of the smartest people I've ever met and one of the nicest. And uh, I just love her. And Jeremy was great. Everything about that production was perfect. I and think was, he would scare me. He just seems so smart. And so, Jeremy? yeah, he just seems <laughs> like I would be so intimidated, I think. I, He's I, like I, Errol Flynn. He's a, and that's why it was funny because I'm talking about it now because I was writing about it earlier because one of the people on this Facebook page was a stage manager that I had met in passing but I'd never worked with. And um, we had an incident, well, not an incident, but uh, Cynthia Nixon was doing the show, and she was a teenager at the time. I think she was 15 when we were doing the play, and she played Jeremy's daughter. This is Cynthia Nixon of Sex in the City, guys. Yeah, yeah. And um, they wanted her to do, there was another, Mike, uh, Mike Nichols was directing another play soon after we opened uh, called Hurley Burley. And um, Cynthia in The Real Thing only had one scene, the beautiful, you know, knock them dead scene, but only that was it for her in our play. And Hurley Burley, she was, there were, was a three-act play. She was going to be in Act 1 and Act 3 of Hurley Burley. So she was, we were sitting in my wardrobe area, and she was saying, I don't want to leave. I want to do a new show, but I don't want to leave this one. And I said, why don't you do both? And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, Hurley Burley's, you know, act one, act two. There's no reason why you can't do both. She went, oh, oh. She said, well, I'm going to mention that to someone. So she mentioned it to Mike Nichols, who was directing both, you know, had directed both. And she went, that's a good idea. And so she ended up doing both shows um, for quite some time. And, wow. And Tom Kelly, who was the, he, he's the person I've been talking with back and forth, uh, was a stage manager, oddly enough, at, death of a salesman at the time and he was free so he would escort her he she would do the first act of hurly burly and then she would come over to me i had her all her costume all set up in my wardrobe room and he would escort her over uh from her from the bearing morph it was two blocks away and she would change and then she would go upstairs do her scene in the real thing 
come back down, I would get her back into her hurly-burly costume again, and then she would go back to Barrymore and do Act 3 of <laughs> What a great experience for her as a young actress. Yeah, and of course, Equity got their knickers in a twist, and that's not allowed anymore. <laughs> oh, oh, it, it's, they don't allow people to do that anymore, no, really? No, it's called the Cynthia Nixon Clause. Oh, <laughs> how fascinating. what nobody thought about was she was putting somebody out of a job. <laughs> okay, got it. And unions, you just don't do that. Yeah. So they do, apparently it has, on rare occasions, it has been done before. Actually, you know what? Now that I think of it, it came up while she was still doing it because eventually um, what Equity did was they um, demanded, I hate to sound that sounds so harsh, but they demanded that if you were going to do that, then you had to hire a person just to get paid, like, you know, Okay. So yeah. we ended up with two understudies for the, her character name was Debbie. Debbie had two understudies. Um, so even though Cynthia was come, running back and forth doing the show, there were two people sitting down in the basement playing Trivial Pursuit with me. <laughs> um, See, you, you, and you started all that trouble. You're just a troublemaker. Yeah, You're yeah, just a rebel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, um. Before we get to some other things that I know you uh, have been very interested in uh, for for a while, I have to ask you about one thing that doesn't have anything to do with Broadway. When I do, I do a lot of research. You know that, but yeah. uh, one thing that popped up and I couldn't drill down into it, and it it stuck. I, I made a notation of it because I wanted to ask you about it. Were you a dresser on As the World Turns? As a matter of fact, uh, well, they call them dressers there, but yeah, I worked on that. Yeah, I worked on it in 1990 for about, let's see, because it was between my show had closed, because mostly I did Broadway, but um, I did some soap opera. I did The Guiding Light for a while. I did Another World for a while out in Brooklyn. And uh, as the world turns, I worked on from um, well, about six or seven months, I think. Until Lost in Yonkers. In fact, I left As the World Turns to start Lost in Yonkers. I have to tell you, As the World Turns, it's why it caught my eye. It was the very first soap opera I ever saw because my grandmother was this huge fan. And there was no talking. I mean, the world came. (laughs) But she didn't call it soap opera. She called it her story. story. I had to sit down and watch my story. And so everything ended while As the World Turns was on with with Bob and Lisa and, and, you know. The whole bit, but I okay. Well, you you cleared that up for me because I really tell you some funny stories about that too. And I, if you can talk about it, we'll do another podcast just about soap operas. Can you? Yeah. Oh, do you promise to do another podcast about it? Oh, I'll talk about soap operas. Soap operas are ripe material for funny stories. We're doing that. You are on. I'm I'm going to hold you to that. But I do want to talk about Broadway in general, just a little bit, uh, the kind of the history of, of Wayne. And I want to talk about where we are now um, mm. or where we are not. Oh, but, but one thing, when you do research on Broadway, 
the things that come up are incredible. And one thing that I loved, a Ghost of Broadway, where you have these stories and, and these theaters that are, you know, they have these little hidden doors and, and all of yeah. these great stories. But there's a lot of, of talk about Ghost of Broadway. And one of them, to me, the main thing that came up was the Belasco. And it had oh, been yeah. another, on 44th, it had been another. Yeah. What was the theater that it was before it was the Belasco? It was always the Belasco. Oh, okay. Because it was built. I never did a show in there, but went from, again, here was the real thing. When we were in Boston with the real thing, there was an actor that got fired. Um, his name, she was so many nameless because I can't remember his name. <laughs> but he was fired and replaced, and he as is typical in the theater, is they don't give you notice the way a normal job would say you have. Oh, that's hard. You just, you're there you're and then you're out. not. Yeah, exactly. Whoa. And so we were, there were a few of us who knew this was going to happen when, when and because they were going to fire him at the end of Boston. And then when, and we were coming into Broadway from there. And so they were secretly rehearsing with another actor in New York. And they were rehearsing with him at the Blasco. And uh, so when I came back in to deal with his costumes and um, for the new actor, and the Belasco was fascinating because David Belasco, who was an empresario, again, at the turn of the last century, he was a playwright, and he built this theater for him, basically for his productions, as well as for other people. And he was quite a, he dressed very dramatically in a slouch hat and a cape and all that. And he had an apartment at the, at the top of the Belasco that, um, and you, he could look out onto the stage and watch what was going on on stage. And his rumor has it that his ghost haunts the, the Belasco. But I got to see when I was there, Doing the fitting the costumes for the new actor, I, um, I guess it was the, maybe it was the stage doorman or whoever I was dealing with at the theater itself um, uh, said, "Hey, do you want to see the apartment?" And I went, "You bet!" Ah, <laughs> so yeah, because at the time the Schubert archives were kept uh, at the Belasco because it was rarely used for shows. Uh, it was kind of a dead house back then at the time and. Uh, so we went up to the apartment, the Belasco apartment, and it was used basically for storage. It was, I, I think now it's, it's out of reach, but it had this huge fireplace and hearth, and it was very lots of stonework and wood and a very dramatic apartment that if somebody had just thought to fix it up, they could have charged a fortune for it. Wow. But um, that theater has always been the Belasco because he was, that was him. And it's supposed to be, um, I guess the most, if you're going to talk about the most haunted, it's um, the most haunted of, of well, the Broadway theaters that I've ever heard of. Cause he, yeah, that's kind of what I read too. And, you know, I don't know. Well, uh, he also, correct me if I'm wrong here, was the very first one to do, I want to say it was in 1900 to do uh, the Madam Butterfly, uh, production of Madam Butterfly. I think he, David Belasco, was the first one to do that. But I think uh, one of the reasons, too, it's so 
notorious, I guess, is because of the the uh, showgirl that fell down the elevator shaft, and they call her the Blue Lady, and and people yeah. claim that they see the Blue Lady. The it, blue lady I mean, yeah. I could I could keep you here talking about this stuff mm-hmm. forever, um, but before we get to kind of where Broadway is now. Um, I want to talk just a little bit about the Coconut Grove because I know you oh. are a big supporter. You also worked there. Uh, uh, Where it started. Been, I wouldn't have had a career without the Coconut Grove Playhouse. Well, how are – I mean, I know now it's oh. not a good – but oh, are they – uh, well, are they? Is everything going to be okay? Or because yeah. what I have read is that the, the uh, many people fear it is protected, but they fear they, that pe- there still will be demolition that shouldn't happen to that There's, great theater. Absolutely, and it keeps going. It's gone back and forth and back and forth, and it just went back again. We thought we were um, in the clear because our dear Mayor Suarez. Um, had actually come through and vetoed it lost by it's got historical status but from the florida and it actually we worked very hard those of us who want to save the playhouse and restore it mm-hmm. um actually it's got national historic status too but it doesn't seem to cut any ice with the Miami-Dade County. Mm. Um, it's, mm. it's where you get into, I don't understand all the politics of Miami, but in the different jurisdictions. Mm-hmm. But at one point last year, uh, the historical, I forget the acronym for it, but I've been to several meetings, but I haven't been to some of the recent meetings. Um, but... Um, or the somewhat, because we haven't had any recent meetings since COVID. But uh, anyway, Mayor Suarez, it was voted down, and so it looked like the county was going to get its way and just save the facade. Um, And then Mayor Suarez vetoed it, and it was like, yay, Mayor Suarez. Well, and that's how it remained for, oh, over a year now. And um, then last week, I can say, I'll I'll send it to you. this some judge it went to some district court and the judge has basically ruled Suarez's veto invalid. Oh no. Chucked it back to uh Michael Spring, the evil cultural affairs you know person in charge. Um and he wants to destroy it. Oh uh, my gosh. Oh no. Well they want to do there's this huge parking lot and they want to develop. They want the land. They don't give a damn about the playhouse. Mm, and mm. so, and they're saying that was the joke. It was a bad joke to say there is no history in the auditorium. Oh, unreal. Because there have been so many alterations to the auditorium that there's no history there. Mm. By alterations, there's this one architectural historian here named George uh, Hernandez who if I said, let's start a drinking game. If you, if you, every time you hear the term Solomonic columns, <laughs> well, back, you know, a shot of your favorite. And, uh, and 
it, those are, you know, there's some that are left, but not enough to make it all worthwhile. And and there was an addition done, and I was there when the Alfred Brown and Parker did the 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 mezzanine, and then there were dressing rooms added backstage. And I was working there at that time. I remember it, and I spoke to George Fernandez about it because he got some of his stuff was just wrong. And um, anyhow, um, they want to destroy the auditorium and just save the facade. And they want to build a 300-seat theater, which is ridiculous because we already have over 10 theaters in Miami that are approximately one side or the other of 300 seats. We don't need another 300-seat black box theater. And that's what really galls me. And the history that's in the auditorium of that theater is remarkable. I mean, just my memories alone, for goodness sakes. Yeah. And um, and there's a, an architect, this, don't ask me his name, his Hisselbottom, oh, this is so embarrassing, not his, Hisselbottom, he's an architect, a very renowned architect in the state of Florida, and he is on our side, and he has studied that theater and the auditorium, and he knows, he is convinced it can be restored effectively and economically. And so he is on our side for restoration. But Michael Spring wants to tear it all down, save mm-hmm. the facade, put up a bunch of stores in a 300-seat stupid theater, and then build condos in the parking lot mm-hmm. and have turn, turn mm-hmm. it into a garage with condos. Don't you want to spend a lot of money to live in a garage? Mm. I do. Well, that that part of Miami, if you're not familiar with Miami, that that's a that's a great part of of Miami. So they've wrecked the Grove already. In some ways, part of me just wants to shrug and go, go ahead, tear mm. it down. Your don't give up, Penny. No. Don't 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 do it. Don't give up. Keep keep the keep the good yeah. fight because it you know what it matters. These because. Florida doesn't have, I mean, it's not like things haven't already just been torn down right and left everywhere yeah, in Florida. Yeah. It's really terrible. Okay, let's uh, let's talk just briefly about uh, where you think Broadway, what's going to happen after COVID. Oh, boy, oh boy I don't know. Um, I don't know. Uh, it's going to take a while, I would think. Uh, they've already, you know, they're postponing it. So, I think if they get reopened by next fall, that'll be lucky. Some you know, shows the thing have about talked those... about opening in the late spring, early summer. Like Hamilton oh, they have. Oh, wow. Yeah. Gary and I were talking about it. It's like those seats, you know, those theaters. They're they're yeah. you're together. I mean, you have no leg yeah. room. You have. I mean, you are together. So yeah. as as the audience. So I don't know. It's it's. It's all horrible, and, and like, I don't want to go. Just, just the rules. No, just the way they're doing. Like right now, just what's happening with them starting starting up with some television production. Because I'm, you know, with with my union, we're very because we work more closely with the actors than anybody, and so what we're trying to establish work rules and safety, you know, safety procedures mm-hmm. for. How can you, you can't wear full body armor and do quick changes. Right. I, you know, there's, to me, there's no, not a whole lot of point. Maybe I'm being Debbie Downer, but to me, there's not a whole lot of point on trying to reopen the shows until you can really do them. I agree. Uh, even if you do them, you know, with some spacing in the audience, I, I, I don't mm, know. Yeah. I, I worry because it's the, every, every, the, the theater, live events, 
are one of the most heavily unionized industries in this country. And one of the things I said to my husband, who is an old union man, as was I, you know, what's going to happen? They're laying out all the unions, equity, IAFSI, you know, they're all laying out money to retirees like me. I get a pension. <laughs> and uh, my husband, we get health benefits as retirees. And all this, how are they going to keep laying out all this money and with very little coming in? Yeah. What's going to happen? It's not, and it's not just theater. It's live events all over the country. It's concerts. It's theater. It's touring. It's everything. And it's mind-boggling when you stop and really – it's easy to be glib and say, oh, well, the theaters are closed. Oh, Broadway this. You know, and, but you just – when I stop and really think about it, I, I'm, I'm – my, literally my jaw drops. Uh, because it's so overwhelming to think about what is going to happen between now and when they can reopen. Already, our health, uh, my, my, my husband, I'm on my husband's health care plan. That has been altered. Oh, really? It has been dropped. Yeah, it has not been dropped. It's been lessened because of all this. Because you can't afford to keep things up, you know, and, and that's become in health care. I mean, I remember, okay, a funny, you know, number, what, I, my room, my wardroom was always a place where the actors would hang out and we would all, you know, shoot the breeze before the show and during the show and all that. And at one point, I'd say about um, 12 or 13 years ago, I began to notice a change in the conversations backstage. And instead of it being, oh, I had a great audition today, or, oh, I saw this wonderful movie and I would much better in the role, you know, all that sort of actor talk. Uh, the actor talk, more often than not, would turn to working long enough in the year to have health insurance. And mm -hmm. so far be it for me to get political, but, I mean, that's become, if we, if we have learned nothing else in the past year, we have learned that we've really got to do something about that. But that's, mm -hmm. yeah, that's not what, you're, what, you know, what you want me to talk about. No, but I want you to talk about what you want to talk about, and it is important. It's incredibly yeah, important. Live events are, uh, it, it's staggering. I don't know when it's going to be safe. Because look at Tom, what Tom Cruise, you know, that got so much publicity. Oh, yeah. Right, and yeah. He's, number one, he's absolutely right. And yeah. sometimes you got to scream and swear to get somebody's attention. Yeah, you did. That set, from what I heard and read, that set had already been shut down three times. With oh, down with you know what? I didn't. I didn't know that. Wow. So no wonder he was pissed off. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, and now they've been trying to. I know Mrs. Maisel, marvelous Mrs. Maisel, mm -hmm. yeah, has been trying to start up in New York, and uh, there have been some other. You know, startups, but now Holly, I think, is giving up now because L.A. is in such bad shape. It's terrible, and it's California. It's absolutely terrible yeah. out there. It really is. Well, and, and you know, the thing is, it's like uh, one thing that you told me, um, I, as you know, I'm a huge fan. I was a huge fan. Still am. I'm a huge fan of Jack Lemmon. This woman, yeah. Penny Davis, actually hung out with Jack Lemmon people. Uh, she would... Uh, go to lunch with him at a, at a little restaurant by the theater that is now closed, was closed you know, even so before. <laughs> and, and I have a photo of her 
holding an Oscar at the home of Jack Lemmon, and it was his Oscar. So, yeah, I'm, yeah. I was, I'm so jealous of half the people I know. My, my envy level is, like, really high. But my point is it, it just has so many tentacles, not, not yeah. just Broadway, everywhere in this country, but, you know, all these things that go on in a very small radius there in New York City yeah. in a yeah. theater district are so impacted by the shows. It's like you go to dinner, you go to Joe Allen's, yeah. which was you yeah. said, got to go to Joe My Allen's. Favorite, back yeah. Then. yeah, and, and I actually, we actually, they let us in, and we were shocked. <laughs> but yeah. it's just the, the tentacles. It's, we could spend another hour talking about that. But I I'm do want to... I asked about this. this is, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a retired prop man. This is my attempt at being funny about it. But one of my first thoughts before I started thinking of the enormity... Of the, the and the seriousness of the problem was back in March, the theaters Broadway shut down very quickly. It was like somebody got sick. Moulin Rouge had a number of people getting getting sick. They they took the brunt of it. But at one point, a friend of mine was working on. They were doing a production of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and it had just started previews, and an usher. On, on matinee, a, a Wednesday matinee, they discovered that one of the ushers had COVID. And that night, they shut that show down. Wow. And the next day, Broadway Broadway shut down on basically you know, like six hours notice. And so now this is the, <laughs> this is the part of my screwy brain. All I, after a bit, all I could think of was, and everybody thought, oh, the, the shows will be shut down for a couple of weeks, and then yeah. they'll all go back to work. And, yeah. of course, that has not happened. And meanwhile, almost everybody in their dressing rooms, in the wardrobe rooms, the prop rooms, the stage manager offices, all the areas backstage, everybody's got a refrigerator of oh. one size <laughs> or another. <laughs> Oh, I think of. I said to my friend Timmy, we were on the phone one day. I said, if the shows reopen, whenever they're they reopen, all I can picture is all through the theater district, green Dempsey dumpsters lined up. Oh, you're so (laughs) right, Penny. Oh. And do you remember the show uh, SCTV that used to be on? Oh the yeah, yeah, radio? of course. And yeah. how that the opening of that was always people throwing their televisions out the window. <laughs> <laughs> all I can imagine are all these refrigerators just oh. thrown out. Hey, that takes that takes dumpster diving to a whole new level. Right. All these refrigerators that people that have old yogurt. Oh God! Okay, I don't even think about that. I don't want to think about it. Okay, what? We're we're going to wrap up here very shortly, but I do want to ask you, um, what do you consider? I have a couple of questions here. One, you're 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 shining. You're glow. You, you know the thing you look to. I think we all do at various points in our career. That was it right there. You know, that either changed my career or it it was just the pinnacle. What is that for you? Wow. Wow. Well, to me, the pinnacle was that I really, the show I loved the most and was proudest of was the real thing because it was a very difficult set to work on and a dangerous set. And it had very, very fast changes. And uh, Mike Nichols liked shows that looked like they were movies, so that there was no time 
in between scene changes and um and that Tony Walton designed the set. It was brilliant. Um, it was actually written up in a theater magazine. It was a, just a brilliant set. But it was three, it was a turntable with three pies, basically divided into three, the big turntable. And each of the slices had a set on it. And then there were two smaller turntables divided into three. And each one of those basically had doors or another part of another set. And the so in between each scene change, these uh, turntables would move, and we would be doing, and we couldn't have any light, any bite lights or any form. The only light we could have was they put a UV light way up in the fly floor, and so anything we really needed to see, we had to put glow tape on it. <laughs> so oh gosh! We'd have like glow tape, a piece of glow tape, and a pair of shoes. If you had to step into a pair of shoes. We would have to see those shoes with a little glow tape. Uh, I had to have black drop cloths, and I did like a, I called it Jeremy's landing strip. I had like an X in the center because Jeremy at one point would have to come out of the set, off the turntable, and then back jump back onto the turntable onto one of the other pies. So I'm, I know I'm describing this poorly. No, and you're not. I had this black drop cloth with an X so that all he had to do was look for the X and jump there and because the turntables this was the sets were always moving so working on the sets could be tricky because they would go at different speeds yeah and if if you were lucky it was a slow the speed would be slow but a lot of times the set would then sort of whip around and Mm. you had to do your thing and then get the hell off the turntable (laughs) (laughs) and uh, so that was probably it was it was a hard show to lay out and uh, a hard show to work, but a very satisfying one. And fun, because it was a great cast. And we just had a lot of fun. It was great. I, I started to babble. I got I, I distracted myself, as usual, with Cynthia. But Jeremy, working with Jeremy was like what I would imagine where Errol Flynn was, only maybe without the difficulty. Yeah, Jeremy yeah. was a star of the old school. For a young man at that time, he knew the responsibilities of being a star, and he was willing to fulfill them. He wasn't one of these, you know, torn T-shirts, scratching mm-hmm. something school of. He knew he had a responsibility to the audience and uh, and to Baxter. And he, I just adored him. And he was fun and, um, uh, and very res- respectful of what he did. And I, I loved him for that because a lot of actors don't, you know, they're in it. They, you know, they do the, you know, it's, I don't know. They, I'm, I'm not I know. I, I hear you. I mean, there's, there are egos to be, to be, yeah. you know, that and come into play. But he I had don't an ego. I said he was like Errol. He was very flamboyant. And I used to tease him. I'd say, I don't care what they say about you, Jeremy. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I know this. It, it's every single thing that I've read about uh, wardrobe, staff, supervisors, the the, 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 the great team of people behind those curves. Uh, every single person that I read about, I mean, while the audience is looking at and admiring the people on the stage, from what I read, the people on the stage, as a rule, uh, a majority of them, of the things that I read, well, 100% really of what I read, they have so much respect for the people behind the curtain, the people that do those 
fast changes that keep everything, that have the, the hooks instead of the zipper in case there's a, a problem. I mean, it's, it's incredible how much information is out there about your craft and what you have spent your yeah. career doing. Yeah. But I want to ask you what advice, if any, you have for up-and-comers, people that want to do what you did. Uh, any advice? Um, do it whenever you can. I've been working, since I moved back down to Miami, um, I got involved with my old high school. I was a thespian. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and Palmetto High School was, uh, uh, I graduated from Carl Gables High School, which I hated. But most of Carl my- Gables is oh so she she. Oh, please. And, uh, but from the time I was in elementary school, I went to school um, in, I lived in Pinecrest, and I went to school all through elementary and, and then junior and senior high school. And then we, we had to move, and we moved to Naples. So um, I, I left Palmetto when I was in the, at the end of the 10th grade. And I had, but I loved it. That's where all my friends were. That's where my heart was. So when I came back down here, I had reconnected with my old drama teacher from Palmetto because she was a very young woman when she was teaching there. And it turns out there's only like 10 years of difference in our ages. And um, she introduced me to the current drama teacher at Palmetto High School. And at one point when I was getting rid of a bunch of my wardrobe supplies that I had dragged down here from New York, once I admitted that it was over, I wasn't going to be working again. Um, So I thought, well, who can I give this stuff to? Because it's, you know, it's good. Right. And so Marty, my friend Marty, the, my old drama teacher, said, well, why not Robin? Why not call Robin? So she introduced us, and so Robin very, you know, took all this stuff. And so I've sometimes I go over to, when they're doing a show there, I'll go over and give advice. And I was talking to a lot of high school kids right now are so much more sophisticated than we were. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The teaching in school I, is so. I mean, they have an actual, you know, backstage classes and stage management in high school. Oh, and, I didn't know tech, that. You know, tuck, take tech classes. I'm shocked by that. Yeah. One kid there the, at Palmetto, um, whose name is Logan, and he loves to do the hair and the makeup on their productions. And we were, I was helping out on a, a production a couple of years ago on Drowsy Chaperone, which is a great show. Anybody get a chance to see any production of Drowsy Chaperone, do. It's actor-proof. You can't go wrong. Um, and, um, he was, and he was, he said, this is what I want to do. I want to be a Broadway, you know, hairdresser, wig stuff, blah, blah, blah. So I called a couple of my friends, wig people on Broadway, and I asked if it was okay if I gave Logan their numbers so he could get in touch with them and ask them for their you know, because their, their advice, blah, blah. And so they've been helpful to him. And uh, I like to think that he'll say, you know, he stayed in touch with them. And that if he ever goes to New York, he may have a leg up. You yeah. Know? Uh, and that's so important to give back and to, you know, to give a handout to others. Like, I mean, I'm so happy to hear that. I think that's because these, uh, it's tough. It's a tough world. And yeah. And yeah. as I, I said to someone recently, you know, we all stand on other people's shoulders at yeah. one at one time or another, and then it becomes our responsibility to be the one where someone's standing on yeah. our shoulders. Yeah, if you go and, and I mean, down here, I'm surprised that there's so much. There's a lot of theater, or well, there was, there will be when it starts again, a whole lot of theater 
uh, here in Miami, and one of the uh, the pl- wonderful company called the Miami Lyric Opera. My husband worked with the sound man for the Metropolitan Opera for many, many years, and we both, he loves it even more than I do, but we both very much enjoy opera. And this is a small company, and at one point, and we would go see their productions, because you can go see a really beautifully sung opera um, for like 40 bucks. The tickets are, are relatively inexpensive. And um, the productions, they don't have a lot of money for big glamorous, you know, mm-hmm. the Florida Grand Opera does big, wonderful, fancy-schmancy productions. Uh, but this company does wonderful productions with great voices um, and a, at a reasonable price. Oh, and, that's great. Uh, at one point, I was, we were at seeing one of the productions, and I could see this, like, one hem was hanging. <laughs> <laughs> Do they have anybody to help them out? <laughs> Um, oh God! Please let me just. I want to just run up on stage and fix that him. I was gonna say, uh, just paint Penny in the in the wings, going come here, just one second. I just need to see you one second. Uh, and so I, I go, they, they have a, one of the things with Facebook is almost every organization has a Facebook page. So yeah. anyway, I messaged them and I said, well, "What? Where do you get your clothes and stuff? And <laughs> do you have anybody to deal with it?" And uh, and so the person wrote me back and said, oh, mostly we rent things. And, and uh, they said, if you'd like to volunteer. And so I actually thought about it, and I thought, no, I'm really kind of too lazy to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's just it. If, if you're interested in it and you've got a local theater company or even climbing a local high school production or whatever, there's one at Palmetto High School, there's a woman there who's the mother of one of the students and she's a doc, she's a surgeon, I, so I found out. And because I, she was around for Drowsy Chaperone, and then last year they did Merrily We Roll Along, and I was helping out short, less, less on Drowsy, but helping out on that. And she was whipping up these clothes. I'm going like, lady, you're incredible, beautiful, and beautiful work. And I thought, wow. she's yeah. somebody's mother. <laughs> and, and then and, and, she, and uh, Robin, the, the teacher there, she said, oh, yeah, she's so, I so love that she, because she's such a busy woman. I said, what does she do? And she said, she's a surgeon. <laughs> um, well, she's really good with scissors. <laughs> exactly. And needles and thread. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> oh, well, Penny, thank you so much. And I am going to hold you to that soap opera yeah, podcast. I'm a lot we, less protective of people. <laughs> we have to do that. We really do. I'm going to definitely book that with you. Thank you so much for sharing sure. your stories. Okay. I really appreciate it. You know how I, I continue to hound you. I, I will never stop hounding you. So sure. thank you for And for now, that the, now that the uh, holidays are over, let me have your address and I'll send you those that costume of Sandy Dennis's. Oh, that would be so great. I will definitely do that. I would, oh, that would just be thrilling beyond words. Okay. So, um, everyone, that was Penny Davis, uh, wardrobe supervisor on Broadway for many years and just all-around interesting person. Thank you so much for being here for this podcast. And um, look for her podcast. It will be on iTunes and many other platforms but also on NorthPalmBeachLife.com. Will, we will have an entire page for her and her podcast on NorthPalmBeachLife.com, but if you can't go there, please visit us at um, iTunes or 
DGN the 561. We appreciate you for listening and for being here and be sure to stay tuned.